Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Team. Back early in our marriage when Don and I were younger and the boys were a lot littler, we used to go backpacking a lot into the mountains and we would go on these 7 to 10 mile treks up into the mountains and so we used to go to this place over by Wolf Creek Pass and so at the time we lived in Colorado Springs and so we drove all the way over there and we got prepared to go hiking and neither one of us really brought ponchos that day. None of us really wanted to uh, be prepared to hike in the rain and so we started up this seven mile trek and about halfway through it it just starts pouring down rain. And both of us looked at each other and said, do we want to go all the way up in the rain? Do we want to deal with this? Do we want to put our our camp up in the rain? And we both chickened out and said, no, let's not um, do this in the rain. And so we got all the way back down the mountain. It was getting late at that time. And so we were thinking we could head all the way back to Colorado Springs, but we knew we couldn't get all the way back. And so we decided we were going to stop in Alamosa. And so we went to every hotel in Alamosa to find a room, and there was a baseball tournament going on that week. And so finally, at the very edge of town, we got to stay in a roach motel. And it was a little sketchy. It was kind of scary, but we found a place to stay. But here's the, here's the issue. Dawn and I suffered for not being prepared for rain on that day. Now, when Aiden was younger, his grandparents would take him to Disneyland almost every summer. And one time, when they were going to Disneyland, they got all the way to the ticket counter at DIA to get ready to get on the plane, and his grandmother forgot her driver's license. And so they had to drive all the way back and take another plane, and of course, this is devastating to a young kid. Am I ever going to get to Disneyland? And so they finally did. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever left the house and went someplace and realized you forgot something very important when you got out the door and you got there? Or have you ever shown up for a meeting where you weren't that prepared? How does that make you feel? Unprepared? Inadequate? Helpless? Because you don't have what you need. All of us have probably been there before where we didn't have what we needed at the time, and it was very, very important to have that. Whether it's a plane ticket, whether it's a poncho for the rain, whether it's an important document, all of us have had that experience of not being prepared with everything we need. Now, think about your Christian life for a moment. When it comes to your life with Christ, I wonder how often we feel those same feelings. I don't know if I have what I need in my relationship with Christ. I I don't know this Bible the the, the way other people do. I'm a little helpless. I'm a little clueless. I'm a little frustrated. I feel inadequate. I don't feel like I have what I need to to live this Christian life. I just don't feel like I have it. Anybody ever been there before? Is it just me? Well, I've got good news for you this morning. Here's Jesus' message for us from his very mouth. Jesus gives you everything you need for true life in him. He gives you everything you need. Now, notice I didn't say he gives you everything you want. He gives you everything you need 
for true life in him. Now, remember last week, verse 19 was our focus verse, and I think this, this verse is still ringing true this morning. Because I live, you also will live. Remember, Jesus is talking about what this life is in Christ, this new life that we have in Christ. So he's talking about what it means to have life in him. But seven times in chapter 14, seven times in one way or another, Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going away. I'm leaving you. Go back to chapter 14, verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? I'm going to heaven to prepare a place for you. I'm going. Verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. I'm going to the Father. I'm going back to heaven. Verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I'm leaving. And for our passage this morning, we're going to see it again. Seven times in chapter 14, Jesus says, I'm going away. So let's pick up in verse 25, and let's read together to the end of the chapter. John chapter 14, starting in verse 25. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, while I'm still with you. Now, what are these things he's spoken? Everything he's spoken up to this point, starting in in chapter 14 at the very beginning. So all of chapter 14, all the things we've been looking at over these past few weeks, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Now notice verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, assuming he's not going to be with them much longer. I'm saying these things to you while I'm still with you because I'm going to be leaving. And then in verse 28, you heard me say to you, I'm going away, and I'll come to you. He says it again, I'm going away. And then down in verse 29, And now I've told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. What's the it? Going away. Over and over again, seven times, Jesus looks these disciples in the eye and says, I am leaving you. I'm leaving you. And the big issue for these disciples in their hearts and minds is this. And we don't understand this because we know the whole story, but think about, put yourself in the mind of those disciples at this point. Jesus is leaving, Jesus is leaving, Jesus is leaving. The big question on your heart, the big question on your mind is, okay, if he's leaving, how in the world am I going to survive? How am I going to make it? How am I going to do what he's called me to do? How am I going to, to survive? Because he's been with me physically for these past three years. He's led me, he's guided me, he's taught me, he's, he's done miracles, he's been physically with me. Everything I've known as a disciple for these past three years has been wrapped up in seeing Jesus physically in front of me, in person. And he keeps saying, I'm gonna leave you. 
And then Jesus says, listen, I'm going to leave you, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm bringing you the gift of the Holy Spirit. So all throughout chapter 14, we've got the Holy Spirit. And if you remember last week, the fullness of God, not just the Holy Spirit, but the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the fullness of the Trinity comes to dwell in the heart of man. And so the Holy Spirit's going to be instrumental in helping and equipping and encouraging these disciples to survive, to live, to carry out ministry, to live the Christian life when Jesus is gone. And it's the same thing with us. Anybody here ever physically seen Jesus? No, we're not in that arena that the disciples were where they lived with Jesus physically. We are on this side of the cross and the resurrection where we have the gift of the Holy Spirit as well. And so from this passage of Scripture, Jesus is going to promise them three things. Three ways he will give you everything you need for life with him. Now, there's a lot more. Excuse me, I'm sounding like I'm going through puberty. I'm having flashbacks to 1983. Sorry. <clears throat> Bear with me if my voice does weird things. So, there's a lot in this passage of Scripture that Jesus does. And, and to make it easier this morning, I've distilled it down to, to three things from this passage of Scripture. Now, the, now you can go through the rest of the Bible, and, and, and we, can, we can spend a month of Sundays talking about all the things that Jesus does for us to provide for our needs. But let me just give you two passages of Scripture to help you see that this truth is taught throughout the Bible. Romans 8.32 is an important passage of Scripture because Paul says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? All things spiritually, all the spiritual blessings from God come to us in Christ. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So a biblical principle is that God in Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit has given us everything we need. Everything we need. Now, in this particular passage of Scripture, Jesus is going to give us three specific ways that he gives us everything we need from this passage of Scripture. So here's the first thing that Jesus gives us. First of all, Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God. The Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God. Now, verse 26, the helper, the advocate, the counselor, whatever translation you have there, the one who comes alongside, the Holy Spirit. Now, this is the only time in John that the word Holy Spirit is used. He's called the Spirit of Truth, if you remember back in verse 17. Here, he's called the Holy Spirit. He's called the helper. He's going to communicate truth. He's going to help these men. What's he specifically going to do? What is the Holy Spirit of truth going to specifically do? Well, look at verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he, that is the Holy Spirit, the teacher, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit is going to teach these men. <coughs> He's going to teach these men. Now, we need to be very careful here. Because there are some promises in John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17 that are for us, and there are some promises that are not for us, but that we benefit from. 
This is one of the promises that is not specifically for us, per se, but we benefit from it. Jesus is making a promise to these 11 men. And to these 11 men, he is saying, the Holy Spirit's going to come and teach you and bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, why is this specific just for these 11 men? Because these men are going to be eyewitnesses to the resurrection. These men are going to actually end up writing the scripture. These men are going to be giving a credible testimony to the life of Christ. And so what you're going to end up with is all the things that Jesus said. Where do you find all the things that Jesus said? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. <coughs> excuse me. These men, <coughs> excuse me, are going to write the Gospels. And these men have been with Jesus for the past three years. And I'm sure they've really got out their little wax notebooks and their little stencils and their little engraving thing, and they've been taking copious notes the past three years, right? Let me ask you a question. Does anybody remember what I've preached the past three years? Does anybody remember what I preached last week? Anybody remember what I preached a few minutes ago? Okay, so <clears throat> these guys have sat under Jesus' teaching for three years, and they've taken in a lot of material. And they're not going to remember all that. And they're not going to be able to write all that stuff down. They're, if somebody were to come to them and say, tell us all that Jesus said. Uh, he said a lot of stuff. Uh, he gave a lot of parables. After the resurrection, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to specifically work in the hearts and lives and minds of these particular men to give credible testimony to the resurrection, and these men are going to write the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're going to be able to grasp what Jesus meant. And so we benefit from this. Because we have a completed scripture that is accurate, that is the word of God, that is Holy Spirit inspired, that tells us everything that Jesus said. <coughs> Second Timothy three, sixteen. And if I don't stop coughing, Andrew, you may have to pick up and preach the rest of my sermon. <coughs> All scriptures breathed out by God. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That's what the Holy Spirit has done. He's breathed out the very word of God. How did he do that? Second Peter 1, 20 through 21. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along <coughs> by the Holy Spirit. So, Jesus gives you everything you need for life. And it starts with his word. It starts with the power of his word. And what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit's going to help you learn this word. He's a spirit of truth. He's going to guide you in the truth. He's going to give you the confidence in this word. And so you have a Holy Spirit-inspired word that was given to the original disciples so that they could accurately write down the words of Christ. And so for us, Colossians 3.16 becomes very important. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell, live, 
in you richly as you teach one another and admonish one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. He's given you everything you need, and it starts with the Word of God. So the question is, are you reading this Word? Are you saturating yourself in this Word? Are you familiar with the words of Christ? Do you know this Word? Everything that you need for life and godliness comes in the Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God that the very Holy Spirit of God inspired these men to write so that you have a final product that is infallible, inerrant, trustworthy, the perfect treasure of all truth. And then the Holy Spirit also, as we saw a few weeks ago, works in your heart and mind to understand this truth. So everything you need, first of all, comes in the written word of God. Secondly, the second thing that Jesus gives, he powerfully gives you this powerful peace that passes understanding. This powerful peace that passes understanding. Look at verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus gives peace. Now, to the Jewish mind, to these disciples that were Jewish, living in Palestine at this time, what would this mean to them? Why does Jesus say, I give you peace, but the world doesn't give you this type of peace? Well, there's a couple of issues. Number one, Israel was under Roman Empire. They were under Roman rule. And Emperor Caesar Augustus, from about 30 B.C. to 14 A.D., conquered the entire known world. And the Roman Empire had pretty much, through military might, conquered everybody. And at the end of that period, it was called what was called the Pax Romana the Roman peace. Peace came through power, conquest, and military might. As a matter of fact, he erected the famous altar to peace, Augustus did. And so in these disciples' minds, when they hear peace, they're thinking, now wait a minute, we know how peace comes. Peace comes through military might, through conquering. We're living in Roman peace right now, and it's not really peace. It's, it's actually a time of, of no warfare. That's because we're under Roman rule. So in their minds, this whole idea of peace would be, it would come through military conquest. Jesus says, now wait a minute. That's exactly the opposite of how my peace is going to come. I'm not going to give peace through military conquering, through power po politics, through, through, through um, the sword. Uh, actually, the peace that Christ comes that gives us is through the cross, as he's going to die on the cross in our place. And Jesus says, <coughs> the world can't give you this peace. Now, why can't the world give you peace? Because the world's a mixed up place. It's a cutthroat, selfish, prideful, sinful world, and it cannot offer what it does not have. Jeremiah gives a prophecy <coughs> in Jeremiah 6, 13-15. For from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, where there is no peace. 
Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At the time that I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. Peace. Peace. You know, the world does promise you peace. Here's how the world promises you peace. The world says this. Hey, just cheat on your taxes. Nobody will know about it. And you'll have the peace of having that extra income to go on that trip that you've always wanted to go on. So April 15th hits. It's April 16th or whatever the next day tax day is. And you're by yourself alone in your room. And you don't experience any peace. But you're overflooded with guilt because you cheated on your taxes. The world says, hey, listen, stab your coworker in the back, gossip against your friend because you'll experience the peace of advancement. You'll experience the peace of getting ahead. You'll experience the peace of actually getting a promotion. And after a while, you don't experience peace because those same things happen to you and your reputation is ruined at work and you go through the same thing that happened because of gossip. Here's what the world says. Hey, go ahead and have sex with your girlfriend before you get married because after all, you can experience the peace of what it means to truly love one another because after all, you're in love and you're at home in your room by yourself at night and you have thoughts going through your mind and you're not at peace. You're feeling guilty and restless. And the world says, hey, I've got peace for you. Go into debt to buy the American dream so that you can have everything that your heart wants, so that you can have the peace of immediate gratification. Just go into debt because you'll get that peace of immediate gratification. And then after two years, when you are almost hanging by a thread because you're so much in debt and your marriage is about to fall apart, you don't experience peace at all. You see, the world can't give you peace the way Jesus does. But there's another image that would have been in the minds of these men. Because they're Jewish. It's the Old Testament concept of shalom. Shalom is the Hebrew word for peace. Leon Morris has given a really good definition, I think, one of the best definitions of, of shalom. He's an Australian commentator. He says this, it stands for spiritual well-being at the highest level. A prosperity of soul resulting from being in a right relationship with God. Not just a feeling of calm, but the life confidence of reconciliation with God. This peace that Jesus is talking about, this shalom that he's talking about, is this peace at the highest spiritual level that comes from knowing that you are in a right relationship with God. Your sins have been forgiven. You've been cleansed. Your conscience is clear. And you are forgiven. You're not guilty. And because of that, you are at peace with God. This shalom was promised in the Old Testament. Number 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Psalm 29, 11. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with shalom, with peace. Isaiah 9, 6. We say this at Christmas time. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Shalom, Prince of Peace. 
So the Old Testament promises a day when shalom, this right relationship with God, would come. And then when Jesus comes on the scene, he is our peace. That's why Paul can say in um, Ephesians 2, 16 through 17, that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to those who are far off and peace to those who are near. We have peace with God through the cross. Romans 5, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we've been justified by, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. See, peace, there's two aspects to peace, to shalom. There's objective peace regardless of how you feel that's true because Christ has died for your sins and you're forgiven. Regardless of how you feel, regardless of any of your circumstances, if you're a true child of God, you have peace with God because of what Christ has done. It's an objective standing. It's an objective position where you are forgiven, you're not guilty, your sins have been cleansed, and you're in a right relationship with God. You have shalom. You have peace. You're at the highest spiritual blessing because of what Christ has done, objectively, whether you feel it or not. But there's also the subjective peace that Christ gives us deep in our hearts. Because what does he say to these disciples here? Verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives you do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You see, there's those times when we're afraid. There's those times when we doubt, when we're anxious, when we're puzzled, when we're frustrated, when we're stressed. And yes, objectively, we have peace with God. But there's those times where we just need to experience God's peace deep in our hearts, experientially, to know that God is with us. And he's given us the Holy Spirit to do that. Deuteronomy 31.6, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. God will not leave you or forsake you. Jesus will give you peace. And Paul says it this way in Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the, what? That shalom, that peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's a peace that passes understanding. And notice what Paul says, it's going to guard your heart. That word guard is a military term implying that peace stands on duty to keep anything out of your heart or mind that's going to bring anxiety to you. And it comes through Christ. And Jesus flat out here says, guys, don't be afraid. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to accomplish objective peace for you by dying on the cross and rising again so that you can be right with God. But in those times where you feel afraid, those times where you feel overwhelmed, those times where you feel anxious, when you pray to me, when you come to me, I'm going to give you a peace that passes understanding. I'm going to overwhelm you with that sense of peace. Peter says it this way, 1 Peter 5, 6-7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. 
Jesus gives you everything you need for life in him. And that includes peace. The knowledge to know that your sins have been forgiven by Jesus, but also that experiential peace that floods our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, two things we've seen already. Number one, Jesus has given us the Holy, inspired, or Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God. He's given us the Scriptures, everything we need that we may be taught the truth. But secondly, He gives us the peace that passes understanding. When we're doubting, when we're afraid, when we're troubled, He gives us peace. But here's the third thing He gives us, and I think it's related to peace. Here's the third thing. Jesus gives us confidence in His sovereignty over Satan. Jesus gives us confidence in his sovereignty over Satan. Look at verse 30. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. Who's the ruler of this world? He's talking about Satan. In Ephesians 2, 2, he's called the prince of the power of the air. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, he's called the god of this world. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 2, he's called the dragon, that ancient serpent, who's called devil and Satan. But notice what Jesus says. He's coming. But what does he say? He has no claim on me. Double negative in the original language. No, he's got absolutely no claim on me, no legal claim on me, no power over me, no influence over me, no hold over me. Satan can't stop me. Now, what has just happened hours before Jesus has mentioned this? Go back to chapter 13, verse 27. We saw it a couple months ago. Chapter 13, verse 27, just go back one chapter. Then after he had taken the morsel, that's Judas, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do quickly. Satan had already entered Judas. And Jesus knows that in the next few hours, this would be the most intense spiritual battle he would ever have to face. Where Satan would attack him with everything he had. To get Jesus, if he thought he could, he can't. But to get Jesus to not go to the cross. To attack Jesus in the garden to attack Jesus to not fulfill the role of dying on the cross. But what does Jesus say? He's got no claim on me. Because I'm the sinless son of God, he can't bring any accusation against me, and I'm also the sovereign son of God. He has no power over me. Now, how does that apply to you? Satan may attack you, and Satan may bring spiritual warfare into your life, but because of Christ as your substitute, Christ as your advocate, Christ as your Savior, no charge against us will ever stick that Satan brings your way. You, as a child of God, can say, he has no claim on me. If you're connected to Christ, Satan has no claim on you. He has no legal claim on you. He has no power over you. He has no accusation that's going to stick. Why? Romans 8, 33-34, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who's indeed interceding for us. Who's going to bring any charge against you? Well, they can bring them, but are they going to stick? Paul says no. 
Nobody can bring a charge against God's elect because Christ is interceding on your behalf. And if Satan has no claim on Christ and you're connected to Christ, Satan has no claim on you. That's why when we sing the song before the throne of God, that second verse, when Satan tempts me to despair, tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. One of Satan's tactics is to make you despair. Have you ever been in those situations where you despaired? And here's the thought that goes through your mind. My situation's never going to change. I can't get over this. I might as well give up. And I might as well throw in the towel. And when you go through those times of satanic attack and despair, you do not have peace. That's why it's called spiritual warfare. Many of you know our youngest son, Zachary, has a chromosome disorder that makes him autistic and severely disabled. And as a young parent of Zachary, when Don and I went through all the emotions, of thinking about what life would be like with a quote-unquote normal son, we were tempted to despair. And it was a satanic attack. But I will tell you, there was a time when I got down on my knees before the Lord, and I remember it so vividly, and I cried out to the Lord, and I said, Lord Jesus, this is your son. He's not mine. He's fearfully and wonderfully made, and you have ordained this to happen. I cannot change it. I want it changed. You can do a genetic miracle if you wanted to because it's a genetic issue. But Lord Jesus, I'm going to give up all rights as father of Zachary, which I don't have anyway, and realize that he's your child, not mine. And you've just given me him so that I can be a good steward of the gift that you've given me. And let me just tell you what happened in those moments. There was peace that passed understanding. There was no longer despair. There was no longer frustration. In that moment, there was peace that passed understanding. Now, let me just tell you this. Did it end that day? Now, Zachary's almost 17 years old, and there's been times where Don and I have had continually to go before the Lord and ask for his grace. And he's faithful to give us that peace over and over again. So one of the things that Satan's going to want to do in your life, he's going to want to take your peace. He's going to want to lead you to despair. And what you do in those moments is you look outside yourself and you look up to Jesus and you say, Jesus, because you died for me and because you've given me peace, this evil dude over here, Satan, has no claim upon me. And you resist the devil and he will flee from you. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. 
Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So Jesus is going to give you his word, everything you need in the Holy Spirit-inspired word. Jesus is going to give you peace, and he's going to have power over Satan. But you have to ask the question, how is he going to accomplish all of this? In just a few moments, he's going to go to the cross and he's going to earn every single bit of those blessings for you and for me in his death. Look at verse 31. But I do as the Father has commanded me. That's his mission, to do as the Father's commanded him. Jesus came to earth on a mission to do everything that the Father had commanded him to do. John 4, 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus came to accomplish the work. John 8, 29, He who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone. I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Jesus is going to do the mission. He's going to do what pleases the Father. John 10, 17 through 18, For this reason the Father loves me, because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up. This charge I've received from my Father. My Father's given me a charge. My Father's given me a mission. My Father's given me a command. And my one goal is to come accomplish that and then just hours before he goes to the cross in John 17 4 I've glorified you on earth having accomplished the work you gave me to do he accomplished it what was the final thing that Jesus cried out on the cross it is finished he accomplished the work he went to the cross and did everything necessary to buy, to purchase for you and for me everything we need for life and godliness with his precious blood. And not only that, after he cried out as finished, after he went into the tomb and after he rose again and after he went back up to the Father, what did he do? He sent the Holy Spirit to be our helper, the Spirit of truth. And the Holy Spirit helps us to understand this word. The Holy Spirit mediates that peace of God in our hearts, and the Holy Spirit gives us power to stand in the evil day when the devil attacks. So you have everything you need because of what Christ accomplished for you in the cross. There's a prayer at the end of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, that expresses these wonderful truths and puts them all together. It's my favorite prayers in the Bible. And this is my prayer over us this morning. Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. You may want to turn there, but it's going to be on the screen either way. If you want to see it in your own Bible, Hebrew, it's the very last prayer of Hebrews. Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. It combines all these images together. Now, may the God of what? Peace. Literally, the God who gives peace the God who ministers peace, the, the God who gives shalom, who did what? Brought again from our dead the Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrected Christ. How can God give us this peace? Because of the resurrection of Christ. Who's Christ? He's the great shepherd of the sheep. He's the great shepherd of the sheep. By the blood of the eternal covenant, 
equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. It's the God who gives peace. It's on the basis of the resurrection of Christ. It's because Jesus is the great shepherd. Remember what Jesus said in John 10, 14 through 15, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. By the blood of the eternal covenant, by his death, burial, and resurrection as Jesus Christ, the God of peace is going to do what? What's the main verb in that? He's going to equip you. He's going to equip you with everything good for doing his will. I love that word equip in the Greek language. It's It's a rare word. It means a lot of different things. And you take all these images together, it just sets a beautiful picture. Sometimes it's used in medical practices of setting a limb. Like you've broken a shoulder, you've broken an arm, and you set a limb. It gets back to where it's supposed to be. It's equipped. It also talks about furnishing a room, making sure a room has everything it needs to function. It means to restore fishing nets that have been broken, to to mend nets, to, to restore nets, to prepare, to complete, to equip. God promises to equip you with everything you need, and he's given you the equipper, the Holy Spirit, to live in us, to teach us, to guide us, to give us peace, and to give us the power to stand firm in the day of satanic attack. Jesus will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will give you everything you need. So when those flames of the arrows of the devil come against you, Jesus stands in your place and he gives you peace and he gives you confidence and he gives you the word and he gives you his presence and he gives you the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul can say this in Philippians 4, 19-20. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, that is our prayer. That is our hope. That is our confidence that you are the God of peace who will equip us with everything we need. You will supply us with everything we need according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, that you've given us the word. Thank you, Jesus, that you've given us your peace. And thank you, Jesus, that you've given us your power over Satan. Father, if there is anybody in this room today that's struggling, that's anxious, that's troubled in heart, that doesn't have the peace that passes understanding. Holy Spirit, would you minister peace to them in this very moment? Lord, if there are those in this room that are undergoing spiritual warfare, satanic attack, Would you be their defender? Would they be strong in the Lord and in your power and in your might? Would they have the confidence to know that the devil has no legal claim over them? They can't bring any charge against them. 
And Lord, there may be some in this room that don't even have a relationship with you at all. They stand outside these blessings because they're not in Christ. They've never trusted you for salvation. Would today be the day that they see their need for a Savior so they can experience that true peace, that true joy that comes through a relationship with Christ? And would they today repent of their sins and trust in Christ alone for salvation? Jesus, thank you that you supply us with everything we need. We need a lot. We are needy, helpless people. But thank you that you meet our needs. That you've given us the Holy Spirit. You've given us peace. You've given us power. Lord, we leave this place encouraged today because we've been in your presence. We leave this place encouraged because we know your power Help us to leave this place encouraged because of the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for your peace. Help us not try to find peace in the things that the world promises, but only in you. We love you, we honor you, we praise you. It's in your name that we ask these things, Lord. Amen. Amen.